That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. Well, Jake, we're deep now in Lent. It's the second Sunday in Lent coming up, as I have been mm-hmm. scolded before. Not the second Sunday of Lent, but the second Sunday in Lent. I'm feeling pretty good because I had a, a bowl of ramen that was like Korean habanero kimchi ramen. My stomach feels a little unsettled right now, I'm not going to lie, but uh, how are you? That's just the kimchi doing its work. So, um, you know, what is it? Uh, like probiotic. probiotic. Yeah, man. So anyway, just embrace it. It's I'm rebalancing. That's right. So, uh, you know, I'm doing, doing all right. You know, we are in the uh, dog days of winter. They say never make life decisions in February. Mm. If you live um, in a certain part of the Northeast. And so, anyway, um, it's, uh, you know, just kind of coming out, looking forward to spring, if you will. Yeah. So, and uh, that's what Lent really is all about, moving us to spring. We do have an so. important announcement for our <laughs> listeners, which is to let them know that Jake has gotten new reading glasses. Uh, and he actually, to get them, he built a time machine to travel back to 1963 <laughs> and stole them off of a high school kid back in the day when the only kind of glasses they made were those black plastic frame glasses. These things are enormous. He looks like he's about to go swimming. They're very cool, and we're excited yes. for you, Jake. So Thank uh, you. Check the social listeners. You'll see. By the time this airs, you'll probably have already uh, seen them. But anyways, just make sure you you share your love for Jake. That's online. right. Thank you. I really appreciate it. SOSEmbird.com. No, wait. Sorry. SOSEmbird at Instagram and Twitter. Maybe we should announce... Also, maybe we should announce... Uh, upcoming uh, the Mockingbird Conference in New York City. That's right. It's going to be about six weeks from when you are listening to this at the end of April. And we could not be more excited to be back in person in New York City. So go to ember.com and click on conferences and make sure you sign up. And uh, Jake and I will be there in person. Uh, we'll be recording a live episode of Samuel Song. And uh, and I, it'll be fantastic. So Hope to see you. I all tell day. you what, I can uh, see things really clearly with this. It's very powerful. My eyes are getting used to it. But I mean, I literally, I think I can see the dandruff on your uh, black sports coat. Hey, <laughs> I use Head and Shoulders. I'm clean. So, and like any good Episcopal clergyman, though. I have a lint roller in my office, so I mm. do not ever appear with crumbs. Mm. But I'm glad. That's We're good. glad that you can see. Jake can so, see clearly now. I mean, the rain it's a little, is you know. It's tough, but anyway, let's jump into this. Let's do uh, it. Reading, We're really belaboring today. the banter today. Okay. Our uh, Genesis 15, 1 through 12, 17 through 18. And then we have uh, Philippians chapter 3, verses 17 to chapter 4, 1. And then Luke 31 to 35. Uh, so uh, we open up with a very, uh, just a, uh, an amazing scene in Genesis uh, uh, um, if you remember Abraham, well, Abram, his name is at this time, had been promised uh, uh, basically a child and that he would be the father of many nations. And Abram believed God, and that's what credited 
was credited to him as righteous. Now, many years have gone by since that first promise was made, and um, and here he is, and uh, he's basically ready to uh, possibly can someone else be the heir? God, can't you work it this way? God, can't you work it that way? Um, a lot of the times, uh, people, you know, um, uh, you know, people think that God is slow. Why don't you do it this way? And uh, you've given me no offspring. Let's come up with a plan B. But God never has a plan B. And so we see uh, Abraham trying to offer a plan B by making his heir Abram or Eliezer of Damascus, which is such a great name. But uh, God uh, reassures him of his covenant because God, uh, no matter how long it takes, is always faithful to his promise, to the covenant promises that he makes. Yeah, this is an incredible passage because it goes against what so often passes for Christianity. It's amazing to me how often the church has made Christianity about us earning something with God or us making God happy. Even if our theology is on the surface about grace, in practice it often feels like we have to make God happy. And what I love about the scriptures, it's over and over, people basically falling flat on their faces, spiritually speaking, and God still doing his redeeming work and loving them no matter what. So we get this here. You know, you and I, Jake, have probably not experienced anything nearly as amazing as God visiting our tents and having a little sit-down meal with them. We've not had our, uh, uh, you know, we've not experienced visions of God telling us to move from one place to another. Maybe, I don't know about mm-hmm. you, I haven't. Abraham, or Abraham has experienced all these things, direct communication with the Lord, and uh, that whole thing with the ram caught, well, actually, that hasn't happened yet, but he's had a lot of direct experience with God, and even so, as you said, he's like trying to work another angle, trying to work, like God promised you'll have a child, he still doesn't have a child, and so he's appointed somebody else as his heir, uh, Eliezer of Damascus, and it's amazing to me, somebody who is basically indicating his doubt, his lack of faith, his hedging his bets, uh, and he's sort of complaining to God, you haven't given me any offspring, and so, uh, this would be if God wanted an exit ramp, you know, well, you know, Abram, it's time for your annual performance review. It looks like you haven't really held up your end of the bargain. And so, you know, the deal is off. No, God doubles down and he says, look, I did this. I'm bringing this to you. And then he has this, this scene where he asks Abram to, to cut a covenant, to cut these animals in half. And what's typically done in the ancient Near East would be the two parties who are forming this deal, uh, this contract would walk between the carcasses and the uh, implication would be, you know, let, let this happen to me if I fail to uphold my end of the bargain. And in this very famous passage, at that point, you know, God signed the contract, Abram's about to sign the contract, but then God makes Abram go to sleep. And only the, the fire pot and the flaming torch, these things that symbolize the presence of God, pass between the halves of the animal. So if you want to preach on this passage, you do have to do a little explanation of what it means to why you would ever cut a ram in half and cut yeah, a goat a, in half and it's explain a Caesar in covenant. Yeah. Right. It, yeah, this the the whole thing with that um this was the tradition. This is how you made an agreement between two parties. Two tribal leaders, two tribal and what what happens to the um if the pro, if the covenant is broken, what happens to the animals happens to the lesser king. Right, and so here, Abram does not pass between the animals. He does. He basically, it, it's like, uh, I, I'm trying to think of an analogy. It's, it's like basically saying, 
I mean, if you want to buy a car, get your first apartment, your parents co-sign the loan. You know, it's your responsibility, but they're there to back you up. But it's basically like God saying, no, I don't even need you to sign, Abram. I'm going to sign the whole thing. I'm going to do it all yeah. myself. Uh, he, it's, he knocks Abram out. It's divine anesthesia. He's put into an induced coma. And while Abraham slash Abram is doing jack squat, God is the one who, with the torch in the fire pot, passes between the the animal carcasses saying I am the one who's going to do this it's not a it's not a 50-50 split it's not you do your part I'll do mine it's not this language here about cooperating with God and uh, all that it's totally one way it's totally God doing it and that's powerful in a time in Lent when so many of us have this idea that you know because we're taking on these extra spiritual disciplines or whatever you know it fits that narrative of we do our part God does his but nothing could be further from the truth so this passage is a great corrective to it in my opinion Yeah, and it finds its fulfillment in Jesus in the sense that, you know, he goes out, you know, he's like, hey, can't this guy be the heir? And God says, look out um, heaven and count the stars if you're able to count them. So shall your descendants believe. And and, uh, once again, um, he believes um, uh, God and that's counted to him as righteous. And then uh, God actually in himself, in Jesus... Uh, taking on the role of the lesser suzerain um, and dying for our sins and being raised from the third day. Paul relates this to the book of Romans, um, where uh, the land now is not simply, the land and the descendants are not simply um, a, a region or a people, but the land now is related to the whole world. And Abraham's descendants are those who believe that God actually operates this way as well. Hmm. And so um, that is kind of how it all ties in together. So the whole world now, uh, by faith, are children of Abraham. Yeah. And I think, you know, in terms of Lenten themes, these passages are are not that, the, the thematic link is not easy. Uh, they sort of jump around a little bit, which kind of happens during Lent. But I would say one of the themes that does come out in this passage and in the other ones as well is sort of the fickleness of human beings. So in this Genesis passage, you have Abraham doubting God's promise to him, and so he's made a plan B with his other heir in case God doesn't come through with the, the miracle child. Uh, as we get ahead of the Philippians reading, we'll talk. We'll see Paul talking about our bodies of humiliation, kind of the physical weakness we experience, and uh, as well as some of the the conflict that happens in the church. And then, you know, we'll see ahead with the Luke reading, uh, people that doubt Jesus and what he's going to do in the world, and yet he presses forward with his mission. So in all these passages, we have this kind of fickle human beings, which is one of the things we're supposed to acknowledge are in Lent, as the Ash Wednesday liturgy says, acknowledging our wretchedness. So human frailty is what we see, and in the light of that, God does not throw up his hands and say, oh my gosh, what a bunch of cotton-handed ninny-muggins, if I can quote Elf, but uh, instead, he always moves to save, he always moves to work, even if we're as fickle as Abram, and God says, I'll do it all, and yeah, and he makes that promise come true in Jesus. So, speaking of Jesus, we move on to this reading from Philippians chapter 3. This is uh, St. Paul writing to this church that he loved so much. And again, we continue to jump around the Pauline corpus. We were in Romans last week, Philippians this week. Next week, it's going to be 1 Corinthians. We are bouncing around, but we do have this thing. And uh, I suspect the the the, the lectionary committee uh, chose it for some reason because it does have this language about imitating Paul's example. So there's some possible idea there about 
kind of a spiritual way of life. Uh, there's uh, talking about enemies of God, who's uh, of Christ, who their God is their belly. So it's kind of this people who live for their fleshly appetites, um, which is, again, in Lent, we're supposed to be ostensibly denying ourselves. So that's kind of why this is in here. But if you were to preach it, Jake, what would you say from this little snippet from Philippians 3, 17 to 4, chapter 1? Yeah, well, I would uh, connect it to the important thing of um, uh, just the the important uh, word in this particular passage, which is the but, you know, uh, and so, so often um, I've told you of them and now it's what he's talking about here are people who are wanting to move beyond the cross. Uh, the enemies of the cross of Christ are not like b- terrible Satan worshipers. That's not what this is about. These are people who are uh, trying to justify themselves through their own piety. And so, um, and, you know, and so he is reminding them uh, uh, that our citizenship is in heaven. And it is from there that we are expecting a savior. Um, and really, that is the, the point, is to uh, keep our eyes fixated um, on the age that is to come. And in that, uh, literally, um, uh, 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 we take up our cross and follow him. Mm. I, I love this, uh, the emotion that Paul gets here, that he says, you know, even now I tell you with tears, he really loves these people and mm-hmm. he really wants them to stay close to the gospel. And I think um, this passage, I remember being in a Bible study in college, I think, and we were reading this, and this verse 17 of chapter 3 of this passage was talked about this this language of join and imitating me and observe those who live according to the example you have in us. And it was presented as this means have a quiet time every day. Uh, It was just, it was a list of spiritual tasks. Uh, That's what it meant. Um, And I'm not saying that Paul didn't do those things or that it's not important for us to have a life where we are renewed in whatever way that looks for us. It's certainly not a one-size-fits-all, but what I think is what this is really about is when we imitate Paul, what we're doing is clinging to the gospel of God's grace to us in yeah. Jesus Christ, clinging to the fact that we have been justified, that we cannot be separated from the love <clears throat> of God in Christ Jesus. That's what it means to imitate St. Paul, is to not rely on your own works, but rely on to the grace of God, as opposed to the enemies of the cross of Christ, which are people who are saying Jesus plus something. You know, the cross, mm-hmm. yes, but now you have to move on in advance to more spiritual yeah. things, and you have to start following some rules and things like that, which is how many people experience the church. We love you. Jesus loves you. It's great. Come on in. It's great. You're totally forgiven. And now... Here's the instruction manual. I just heard recently a, a pastor locally here was on social media calling the Bible an instruction manual for life. And this is something that a pastor of mine in college used to say. And I can't tell you how much I stand Eight. against that idea. I can't stand it because, one, manuals are super boring to read. No one has ever read the instruction manual for their microwave. Have you, read the, vestry, have you read the vestry manual handbook? I can either confirm nor deny. But that'll put you right to sleep. Yeah, manuals are boring. So who wants to compare the Bible to a manual? But also it makes the Bible all law. And mm-hmm. golly, I mean, yes, there are good yes, the Ten Commandments, if you could live by them, great. Your life will be better, actually. But nobody can. And so the Bible is a book not about rules, it's a book about Jesus. So if you want to imitate Paul, do that. Cling to the cross of Christ Amen. and don't feel like you ever graduate from it. Yep, that's that's why he doesn't say move forward, but he says stand firm Amen. in the Lord. And so, yeah, that's the key thing there is just we're standing 
That's all. You know, somebody was like, what are you doing? And I was like, I'm just standing. That's it. And yeah. And by the way, there's this thing. I love this verse here where it says uh, that God will transform the body of our humiliation, that Mm -hmm. it may be conformed uh, to the body of his glory. And this is something about the resurrection that we will all experience. This is kind of a eschatological, the next life kind of thing, which is another big theme in Lent, the reality of death, human mortality. And I love that it acknowledges the fact that our bodies, as glorious and wonderful as they are, also sort of suck. They fail you. They let you down. They, you know, Jake's wearing reading glasses now because his eyes have stopped working because he's super old. And, uh, you know, Mm. I can't move my right shoulder the way I used to. And there's all these things. Our bodies are this source of humiliation and uh, that's why I think, you know, if you're a listener to this, you're maybe a clergy person and you spend a lot of time with people older than you. If you're a young pastor and you have seen this firsthand. And so I think just, to, again, acknowledging human frailty. And I just love that little touch here. It's He doesn't sugarcoat it or, you know, there's all this, well, you know, like the how what old people look like in like commercials for rheumatoid arthritis medication. They all look like they're like 20 year olds with white wigs on. And that's mm. how people tend to think about our bodies. But Paul is much more honest. I think, uh, too, uh, the other beautiful thing is, is that uh, what Lent is, is Lent is a reminder that we're, we're <coughs> pilgrims in a foreign land as well. Mm. Um, you know, our citizenship isn't here in, on, in this age, but our citizenship is ultimately in heaven. And uh, we move forward in this life, not by doing things, uh, but we move forward by, in this life by, by, by trusting in the gospel and having Christ applied to us. And uh, so, you know, that's why he says, oh, you know, you see in that passage, the therefore, uh, there, like, what's it there for? Well, all of these things, you know, that are going on that God is doing in us. But uh, now, my brothers in whom I love and long for, I love that too, my joy and, and crown. I'm going to start calling my wife that, my joy and my crown. Hmm. <laughs> but he says, stand firm in the Lord in this way, my beloved, you know, and just that's it. Trusting that our citizenship is in heaven. And nothing can revoke that. We were citizens of the kingdom of darkness, but like, um, like, uh, like people who um, have become citizens of the United States, from you, you receive mail from your previous country, but uh, you, your citizenship is in heaven. That is totally true, and that is good news. And it's why you don't feel like you're at home here all the time. Mm. Uh, now we come to our gospel reading, which if you're in the RCL, there's an option here to do Luke 13 or Luke 9. Uh, and the Luke 9 reading is Jesus um, on the Mount of Transfiguration, and it's that story of him turning very shiny. Uh, in the Episcopal lectionary, it's just the reading for Luke uh Chapter 13, the story of Jesus wanting to gather up the, like a mother hen, gather her, his children together. Uh, so that's Gosh. the one we're going to be talking about. If you want to talk about the Transfiguration, you can look up that previous episode of Same Old Song mm. and have fun with that. But Luke yeah. chapter 13, Pharisees tell Jesus, get out because Herod wants to kill you. You've made an enemy. This is not Herod the Great, the one that tried to kill Jesus when he was a toddler. This is his son, Herod Antipas, who's split the kingdom with his siblings. And anyways... Uh, he is, uh, Jesus is warned to get away so he can save his life. And Jesus responds by saying, I'm perform, I'm casting out demons, performing cures today and tomorrow. And on the third day I finish my work. And he says, mm. you know, basically prophets have to be killed in Jerusalem. And, uh, and he says this famous line, how often have I desired to gather your children together, Jerusalem, as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. And mm. yet you are not willing. Um, and he ends by saying, 
I, I tell you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, which is obviously, he's talking about Palm Sunday, he's talking about Passion Week. So it's setting the tone, It's this is a great Lenten reading because it's setting the tone for what's coming, but hens, broods, Herod. What's going on here? This fox, uh, yeah, what, what, uh, what, what well, would you I say? Was, uh, you know, it's crazy, this has nothing to do with anything, but I was watching um, on YouTube um, last week uh, rabid foxes. Oh my God, it's terrifying. But uh, the point is, is that, yeah, so. Um, it's you another have... same old song freebie, folks. <laughs> Go down that rabbit hole of rabid fox videos on YouTube. So, but Sounds you have like the Pharisees, they don't, they don't really care about Jesus. They've been plotting to kill him for some time. And, uh, you know, and uh, as if there were, they would love it if Herod got their hands on him right now. I mean, this is BS. And, uh, and, uh, and, uh, Herod's BS, you know, go tell that fox. Why do they call him a fox? Well, that's because he is not really a uh, king of Israel. He's Syrophoenician and uh, has nothing to do with the tribe of Judah. He's and a poser. So, um, he's a poser, totally. And so, but this is what um, really uh, religion and uh, politics uh, do when they get involved with Jesus is that they reveal themselves to be nothing more than posers. Um, you see it in uh, the United States in the red and blue state Jesus. You know what I mean? Uh, the Herod of the Red and the Herod of the Blue could give really two rips about Jesus. Um, and um, what it does is it creates poser religion. Um, but he basically lists out his ministry. But here's the thing, and this is how I would preach it. If um, And we talked a little bit about this at the same old song, a kind of a preaching evening we did a couple of weeks back. But this is how I would preach it. I would talk about basically uh, the Jerusalem of this age. I mean, it, it's a chaotic, chaotic place, but it is a place of murder. It's a place of uh, real difficulty. And it's always been a place of murder and a place of real difficulty. Um, however, uh, the, and while J the Jerusalem of today is a great place to visit, it's not our home. You know, um, we have been set on a citizenship in heaven, as Paul says. And that citizenship is a heavenly Jerusalem hmm. where uh, the foundation of that city is made uh, of the prophets and the apostles pointing to the lamb that was slain to, uh, create, um, to create a new city, uh, which is waiting for you and me. And so as we kind of walk through our Lenten journey, that's what we're ultimately looking forward to and for, a heavenly Jerusalem. Yeah. That is accomplished because... Palm Sunday occurred that drove him to the cross, where on the third day he finished his work once and for all, for all of us. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Uh, yeah, the, the thing too, uh, so I see, a, I see one big dynamic in this passage, which is something Ooh, I that love it. If, if I were to preach it, I would, which is the human propensity to always push God away. Yeah. And the divine oh, that's tendency great, dude. to always reach push in towards yeah so it Ooh. says like it is it's been the way from the beginning that the prophets get stoned and i don't i'm not talking about a grateful dead concert i'm talking about the prophets get killed and god always tries to embrace i remember a story i think it was a sci-fi futuristic great, thing dude well you know that's what i do jake yeah thank you very much uh i don't need your grades but i'll take it uh the the orson scott card is actually a, a was maybe is I don't know I kind of don't read his stuff anymore but he, he had a book uh, where there was a child that had a tantrum and 
the protagonist held the child lovingly but firmly in his lap while the kid had this tantrum. And the kid, like, when he thought he would really get get it over on this guy, like, he'd take the tantrum to the next level and get his way, he actually uh, peed on the guy. And, like, but he didn't let go. He just held him lovingly, firmly. And uh, the kid eventually, like, gave up the struggle and realized he was loved. At least that's how I remember the story when I read it. I think it was one of the Ender Wigan novels. Anyways, this is how human beings often are. We, like, throw these tantrums. We always try to push, push God away from the beginning. Uh, and God always moves towards us. And there's, mm. there's a perpetual sort of forgiving action of God. So much so that here the Pharisees want to kill Jesus. Herod wants to kill Jesus. The disciples are about to desert Jesus. And, and God's desire is to gather these rebellious, obstinate, insubordinate, sinful children together and even though they could not deserve his love less based on their actions towards him he still goes to the cross to die for them he's and he's so intentional about it and he knows exactly what's going to happen he knows he's going to be deserted he knows what's really what human beings are really like so i would talk about that and i would kind of try to bring you know you can talk about how lent we try to do these things that move us towards god but really we tend to find that they're mostly about ourselves and I don't know, but there's lots of examples of how we tend to push God away and uh, live in that land of denial, but God still moves towards us. And that's what he does in the cross. There's nothing that we can do to drive him away. We can't out-sin the love of God. And that's what I would talk about for Luke chapter 13 on the second Sunday of Lent. So we've talked about Genesis. We've talked about Philippians. We've talked about Luke, all these great readings. Any uh, PS or final uh, truth bombs you want to drop, Jake? No, I think uh, I think we've covered it all, and um, and uh, I think it's a I think especially if you hit on that point, um, us driving God away and uh, God always pressing into us. Mm. Um, I think uh, I think you've got a knockout sermon. They say when yeah. we press into God, eventually we encounter the angel Moroni. But um, <laughs> have you heard about that? Uh, we'll so, just edit, so, we'll edit know, that like, out. We'll just no, it's really it. funny, but like, yeah, um, God is the one who's pressing into you, not the other way around. You always heard people like, press into the Lord, press into the Lord. Total nonsense. And they talked about how that was a big call um, in the uh, second Great Awakening with Charles <clears throat> Finney, pressing into the Lord, which mm. then eventually led to the third Great Awakening, which was the rise of the biggest cults that came out of the United States, like Mormonism, Jehovah Witnesses, the Shakers, and all of this. So, anyway... Yep. Uh, God, God's pressing into you. You don't need to press into him. Yeah, he'll gather you together. And if you do push him away, like St. Paul, like the prodigal son, like St. Peter, he will just uh, move even Love closer even towards more. you. Love yeah. even more. And probably put you on his team, <laughs> put you in the game. Yeah. All of a sudden, you're getting ordained. So anyway. <laughs> That's right. All right. Well, preach, preach, uh, preach the love of God and know that you are also loved too, preachers and non-preachers who are listening. And we'll see you next week for Lent chapter three. In the meantime, go to ember.com, sign up for the conference. We'll see you in New York City. And we can't wait. And you can see Jake's glasses in real life and see how, Amen. how cool they truly are. Yeah, I think they're doing their own breakout session. It's just confirmed. <laughs> One night only. Somebody's looking. Somebody wonders what you're doing today You know we crucified him, buried him But three days later, well, the stone got rolled away and yes, Thanks for listening to Same Old Song. Hope you found some gospel nuggets for the pulpit or for your life. If you like what you heard, 
leave a review or rating in Apple Podcasts. Dave Zoll will be sad if you don't. Thanks to TJ Hester for audio production. And remember to keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll.